Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. May not be aware, we are week two uh, in our series which is titled Being the Bad Guys, How to Live for Jesus in a World that Says You Shouldn't. And so as I talked about last week, uh, this series is heavily based on a book of the same name, as in heavily based, like we stole the title from him, um, of a pastor and author, Perth-based guy uh, by the name of Stephen McAlpine. And so we have a few of the books. I think there's a few left uh, down in our Next Steps area for, for sale. And if this is something, uh, this topic that you would like to dive in a little deeper to, create some more understanding uh, around your life, then I'd encourage you to purchase the book, Resource Yourself. We tend to fill our lives with a lot of input from a lot of air. Areas. Let's fill our lives with the principle of God's word, with um, uh, you know, with, with thoughts from great thinkers like Steve McAlpine. And I, and I want to encourage and challenge you with this because the call of following Jesus is to become more and more like Him every day. Now, we don't do this from like a, a fear base, from a, you know, like a better improve, a, a, a better step up, you know, will, will, will I be worthy, you know, I don't, I don't think I'll, I'll be good enough. No, no, no. Following Jesus is not like that at all. Our foundation is that we are loved, we are accepted by Him, that our identity is found in God through Jesus Christ. The Bible says it like this in Romans chapter 3. Verses 22 and 24, it'll be on the screen here behind me. It says, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of of our sins. You see, it's simply because of our faith in Jesus, not because of anything else. It's not what we have to do or have even done, but it's what He has done on the inside of our lives. For, for me, God took an uh, insecure teenager who just went to church because I went with mom and my two brothers and that's what, you know, that's, that, that's, what, that's what we did. But He took that, He took my life and placed a new confidence in me, a, a, sense of, a sense of greater purpose. There's more to live for than just what I was looking at uh, at the time as a, as a 14, 15-year-old. You know, God, God, God placed an awareness of eternity in my heart. That we're only on this planet for a short time, and then when uh, we will live forever with, uh, in perfect relationship with God. That's, that's what God did in, in, in my life. And maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're fully convinced of that. You're like, yep, preaching to the choir. Uh, I know what you're talking about. Or maybe you're not yet. And can I say that's okay. We're all on a, a journey of understanding who God is, understanding who we are, what, what, what the purpose of existence is. And so what, what we want to do today is I want to give you a, a very short recap. So it's not like Netflix doesn't have the button where you can press skip recap if you were here last week or listen to, or, you know, listen to the podcast, whatever. Um, but I want to give you a quick recap of last week, which was really just setting the foundation for where we were going with this series. And, and you know, I talked to a number of people um, after the service who said that some of the things that were, were shared was right where they were uh, in their community 
community and in their, in their workplace of things they were negotiating, things they were finding in, in culture in general. So, so it was great to hear that it was connecting with people and where they are. But, but, but here's, the, here's the recap. Over the last 20 or so years, there's been a, a fairly radical shift in our culture. Now, this didn't just begin uh, 20 years ago. For those of you who are interested, researchers and sociologists identify the romanticism of the 1800s as the beginning of this shift, but it's really started to become apparent in mainstream culture in these last 20 years. So even though the general moral framework that we, that we live in, in um, you know, what could be classified as the West, even though it's been built on uh, principles taken from the rise of Christianity, which, if you actually think about it, is is incredible that a that a small Jewish sect in the Middle East would end up infiltrating the whole of the Roman Empire and then be transported worldwide and and make such a remarkable difference across the globe. But in, in any case, in many areas of society, historic Christian values, particularly in the areas of sexuality, gender, identity, and the sanctity of life, are now not only seen as boring, plain, and a little bit old, but they're seen as oppressive, dangerous, and detrimental to human flourishing. As followers of Jesus, we are often seen as the bad guys, and, and often this, this comes as a shock. You're like, what, what, what do you mean? I, I'm a bad guy? I don't understand this. One of the key reasons, and I'm going to quote uh, directly from Stephen Alpine's book, is this. He says this, uh, politics professor Dale Kearney has labelled the late modern West the I-world. In the traditional world, or T-world, our understanding of ourselves and our place in the world was discovered through relationships of obligation. Society was held together by a recognition that family relationship structure and a commitment to maintaining them, sometimes at personal cost to the individual, was the pathway to flourishing. By contrast, the I world, where, where we, the cu culture we currently find ourselves in, the I world locates meaning and purpose within the individual and relationships of obligation have been replaced by relationships of choice. Our compass for who we are is not pointed outwards, but inwards. We have become the source of meaning, our own meaning, and we only let people into our lives if they affirm and confirm our appointed true north. The summary is this is that the current um, culture that we're, that we're in uh, says that I define truth. Who I am on the inside, what I feel my identity is, regardless of anything external, regardless of a God, regardless of family, regardless of biology, regardless of anything else, who I am is who I feel I am on the inside. And the goal in life, therefore, is to feel psychologically good on the inside, and anything that comes against that uh, to challenge or mess that up is oppressive and wrong. Now, of course, hear me for a second. I am not saying that all of that is terrible. I'm not saying that all of that, you know, that we shouldn't feel psychologically good. I'm not saying that there is no trauma or there's anything like that. What I am saying, though, is an identity that is based truly on who I think I am on the inside is actually the opposite of what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that identity is given by God. Yeah. It tells us, in fact, Christianity says, I don't, I don't live for myself, but Jesus said, I take up my cross and I deny myself to follow him. 
that in fact, truth is not what I think it is on the inside, but truth is given by God. That, 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 is, that, is, that it is beyond me. And so it's into this culture that we find ourselves. And the question we asked last week is, so, so what, are, what do we do with this? Do we change some of our core beliefs to respond to the world in which we, which we now live? Now, I'm not saying that we don't have to change uh, anything in our approach, and I'll talk a little bit about that today, but, but do we, do we uh, change these uh, classic Christian beliefs about some of those areas that I mentioned um, to, to fit in and not to be seen as the bad guys? Do we respond in, in anger and aggression and fight in the same way that the world fights? Or is it time to change the story a little bit? Is it time for a different approach? I, I don't know about you, but I love um, stories of, of creative problem solving and uh, I read this one a, a number of years ago. Uh, in the 1970s, um, Nestle, the company, was uh, trying to crack the coffee market in Japan. Now, during that, during that period, a lot of Western companies were looking for opportunities into this new you know, East Asian market. For instance, in the 1970s, the first McDonald's had just opened in Japan. So Nestle, they tried a bunch of different strategies to, to, to get coffee into the Japanese culture, but, but, but nothing was catching on. Japan had a rich history of tea and wasn't really interested in coffee at all. So Nestle thought new approach. So they enlisted the help of a psychoanalyst who had worked in the um, area of um, child psychology and memory, and they decided that the issue was that, that when consumers have a childhood memory of something like chicken noodle soup or mum's hot cup of coffee, that long embedded memory creates a bond between the consumer and the product. See, you just thought Nestle just made stuff and sold it. No, 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 no. they think really deeply about these things. And so there was no bond like that with coffee in Japan in the 1970s. So Nestle thought, you know what, we're going to play the long game. This is a quote from them. Uh, they said, it started with sweet, coffee-flavoured products for kids. They always go to the kids first, don't they? Anyway, um, they said, we started, for example, with a dessert for children with a taste or a hint of coffee. We created an imprint of the taste of coffee. So fast forward from 1970 to 52 years later, 2022, and now Japan is the third highest consumer of coffee in the world, only behind the United States of one, as one and Germany as number two. Now you can thank me if you do a quiz night and they're like, okay, what are the top three countries of coffee consumption? You heard it here. Remember, remember that. But what, what, what's the point? What does this have to do with us today? Well, Nestle changed the story of coffee in Japan by placing an imprint in people's lives. They obviously chose children because they're greedy corporate. No, no, sorry. They, they just chose children because that's, that, that, that's, that's how they worked. But, but I believe this is a great picture that we can use. It's a reminder that small seeds make a difference, that every interaction we have with people leaves some form of an imprint on their lives. We either get to confirm the story they've already been reading, or we get to start to create a different one. Through the lives we live, through the interactions that we have, our integrity, our openness to people, we get to leave an, a small imprint and tell a different story. Like last week, we sort of concluded with, well, if we're going to be seen as the bad guys 
if I'm going to be seen as a bad guy, I, I, I don't think I am, but if I am, um, for holding biblical values, then I'm going to be the most loving, the most grace-filled, the most approachable bad guy I can ever be. And so today what we want to do is we want to understand, okay, how has God called us to live where we find, where we find ourselves? Uh, I quoted it last week, so it wasn't on the screen because I just thought of it, but uh, Carl Truman in his book, The, um, the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, says the, um, the job of the Christian is not to whine about the culture that they find themselves in, but it's to assess where it is and to make a difference right in that space. And so what I want to do today, in the time I've got left, I want to give you four things that I believe will help us tell a different story than the one that's being broadcast right now. And so we ended, the first point we ended with last week, and so I just want to expand on that already, but uh, I, I want to start with number one, is our lives should be confusing. Our lives should be confusing. You see, our lives should bring confusion to those outside the faith because it doesn't fit the box. People should be asking, how can they, how can he, how can she be so loving when they reject the idea that love is love? By the way, love is love doesn't make sense because it doesn't, because love is not something that I decide. It's something that's given by God. It's something that, that He sets the parameters around. And so if love is love, then it can just be whatever it wants. But no, no, we believe in a God who's bigger, a, a God who gives us His principles and His power. But, but the confusion should be, how, well, how can they be so loving when they reject this type of idea? Now, remember, we're summarising culture, and I'm not saying that everyone outside the Christian faith is going to think like this. However, many do, because they think it without thinking. Why? Because it's just embedded into our society. But being confusing is exactly what Jesus said to be. Look at this, Matthew 5, verses 38 to 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You see, the response that Jesus is speaking about there is what a previous, previous pastor of mine called the opposite spirit. This is not about being a doormat or a pushover, but it's about responding in a different spirit, responding God's way, responding the higher way. We, we, we just read that Jesus said, if someone slaps you in the face, turn the cheek and give the other one as well. That, that's, that's not you know, saying yes to abuse or being a doormat or anything like that. That's responding differently to what's being given to us. He says that if they come against you with anger and violence, that you respond with peace. If you are sued in court for your shirt, give them your coat as well. If they come against you with greed and jealousy, you respond with generosity. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear a mile, Jesus says, take it too. All those things that, are ha that happen there that Jesus is referencing, they're, what are they all? They're all unfair. And maybe you feel like, well, I'm being seen as the bad guy, and, and isn't that unfair? Like, I feel like it's unfair. You know, would you just please get to know me? I'm not that, I'm not that bad. But Jesus' call is to respond with an opposite spirit, to bring calm, to embody God's peace, and to listen. Yeah. On Friday, I had the um, 
privilege of attending the uh, Governor's Prayer Breakfast uh, up in the Crown Ballroom. So it was a great event, 12, 1,200 people there gathered to, to pray and hear from uh, the Word of God and the recently sworn in uh, Governor Chris Dawson was there and, and spoke and declared his faith in God. And, and uh, I travelled up with a number of pastors from Mandarin. We were talking about some of these issues, some of these same themes on the way back. And two of them spoke about conversations they'd had through different avenues with, with people that were living right in the middle of some of these areas that we're talking about. And, and both said, they said, I, I actually asked, said, what, have, what, what have you found? Like, what is, what is the key? And both said, just listening. Listening is the key. Listening to people. Listening to their, to their stories. You see, not only are we called to have uh, what someone said as uh, deep pockets theologically. So what I mean by that is that we need to understand what the Word of God says and, and how, to, um, how to apply that to the culture and society, a solid understanding of what God says about sexuality, about the purpose of life, about identity. We're not just called to have deep pockets theologically, but we're called to have deep pockets pastorally. What do I mean by that? We are called to walk with people. We are called to walk with each other through our struggles, through uh, the things that, that, that come into our life, maybe through no fault of our own, through whatever is around us, God has called us to have both. He, he, he hasn't just called us to, to walk with people, but um, just be you know, oblivious to, to truth, and truth can be whatever, whatever you have been. He hasn't called us to that. He also hasn't called us just to be, well, this is what the truth says, so get out or you know, come back when you agree with me. No, no. God has not called us to either of those extremes. He's called us to hold both intention. Jesus said it like this when, sorry, the reference is not up here because I'm on a bit of a flow at the moment, but, um, but, but Jesus said to the woman that was caught in adultery, uh, if you know the story, if you don't, apologise, I'll give you the reference later, um, but she was thrown to the ground. The religious people at the time who were judgmental but didn't you know, think they had anything wrong with them, what does Jesus say to him? He says, well, he was without sin, cast the first stone. They all one by one dropped their stones and leave because Jesus just called them out on their own sin, their own pride. And then what does he say to the woman? He says, see, I don't condemn you either. Therefore, go and sin no more. Such a beautiful picture of the grace of Jesus Christ and his truth at, at the same time. You see, God has called us to have deep pockets on solid on what we believe, but deep pockets on how we walk with people through whatever they're facing. So God has called us as people, one, to be confusing. Number two, to be intriguing. Not only should our lives bring confusion to the story that is currently told, but the way that we live and the words that we speak should create intrigue. Lines like people should be thinking, well, I don't agree with how intolerant they're supposed to be, but they welcomed me in. Like, what is this? This, this is just so intriguing. Because can I be clear? Anyone and everyone is welcome through the front doors of this church. Everyone and anyone. Now, safety, you know, safety reasons aside, I think we all understand that. But safety reasons aside, anyone and everyone is welcome here. Maybe you're even sitting here this morning and you're thinking, hmm, Message is okay. Give it a four out of ten. I, I'm not sure I 
agree with maybe some of these things that you're, you're hinting at here? Does, it, does this mean I'm not welcome? Absolutely not. And so you are always welcome. Everyone is always welcome in this place. And I've shared this a number of times. I'm going to keep on doing it because I believe it's core to who we are as a church. Our community here is tight, but it's open. It's a, it's, it's a paradox. You see, we're building a tight-knit community where people have each other's back. We encourage, we lift each other up. We build on a foundation of trust, not a foundation of suspicion. Now, as the church grows, obviously this is outworked in different ways. You may not know everyone on a Sunday like you used to as the church continues to grow. But as we all work hard, note it's a joint responsibility, as we all work hard to create environments where we get to know each other more than just, hi, how are you? I was busy Oh, I was busy as well. Okay, great. High five. Oh, no, are we elbow bumping now? High five, not sure. All right, see you next Sunday. Or, hi, how are you? And then, you know, the, that uh, classic um, Australian saying that doesn't make any sense? Yeah, nah, I'm pretty good. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> yeah, nah. I don't know what... Anyway, maybe they both cancel each other out. Is that, is, that, is that how it works? Yeah, nah, I'm pretty good. And you? Yeah, nah, I'm all right. Okay, great. Yeah, see you next week. No, no. God's called us to more than that. We're called to be tight-knit, to have each other's back. But also, we're called to be open. You see, when we see communities like that, sometimes in the world we think, wow, they're, they're tight-knit, there's a bond there, it must be hard to get in. We are to be the opposite of that. We are to be tight-knit, but at the same time, we're to be open. People should look at us and think, oh, wow, they really support each other, have each other's back. This is amazing. I, I could never get in there. And then, we are, and then when they arrive, they think, oh, wow, how did, I, how did this happen? How, how, did, how, did, how did this take place? Because what looked like from the outside was different once they came. You see, we should live lives and build communities that show intrigue. That's why our life groups are so important. Rachel talked about them already. That's why serving in a team, it creates more um, connection with others, more shared experiences. You see, not only do we want to create, uh, we want to live in such a way that brings confusion and intrigue, but we also want to create an environment. Number three is this, is that's attractive. It looks and feels better than what I'm currently doing. Now, attractive before you think, all oh, right, this is awesome. Time to hit Mandra Forum, some new threads. Yeah, maybe I'll use that gym membership I signed up for at the start of the year. You know, let's Google search collagen injections. You know, like what? You know, let's, let's okay, attractive. Yeah, let's do this. Come on. Uh, I'm ready. But I think one of the greatest ways that we can be attractive is in our speech. Is your speech attractive? In the workplace, if you're, is, is your speech attractive? Is it uplifting? Is it positive? Does it see the best in people? Does it, uh, does it push aside complaint and negativity? Is it, is, is it attractive speech? Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Uh, this is the message. It says this, Use your head as you live and work among outsiders. Don't miss a trick. Make the most of every opportunity. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not to put them down, not to cut them out. I love the way the message paraphrases this. The goal is to bring out the best in others in conversations. Imagine approaching every conversation like that. Imagine that prayer, Lord, remind me, remind us every single day that we can use our speech to lift up, to encourage, to bring life, to know when to speak 
and when to listen. And now, let's be honest, we are all going to mess up and fail at this many, many times. But that's where the grace of God comes in, that we go, God, I'm sorry, let, let, let me give another shot again. Let me, let, let, let me try again. Help me by your spirit to make that, make that decision again. You see, let us be led by God's spirit to, like I said, know when to speak and when to listen, to, to stop ourselves from maybe just talking to fill in insecurity that we have, you know, let's be aware of others. I find that asking questions more than talking about yourself is a great way to actually, you know, bring attractive speech to people's lives, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. I'm amazed how far positive words, uplifting words will take you. When the prevailing culture, maybe in your workplace, is complaint and negativity, I want to encourage you that you carry something different. Why? Because you have Jesus Christ on the inside of you. Just moving quickly, Psalm 19 says this, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, uh, my rock and redeemer. Such a powerful scripture to meditate on, to declare over, over your own life. Let the words of my mouth, let the meditation of my heart, Lord God, let it be acceptable in your sight. So as we, by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit, maybe as Ben joins me as I wrap up here this morning, as the, by the grace of the power of the Holy Spirit, as, we, as He helps us to form and to create a life that brings confusion, intrigue and attraction, I, I believe that then Jesus becomes for others. Number four is this, is compelling. Jesus becomes compelling for others. That there would be a thought pattern from people that, wow, I think this might just be where true life is found. Because it is. Because Jesus said, John 10.10, 10, this is the key, the, the key, that's the, that's the key for Sutherland version. No, don't. The thief, the thief. Uh, the thief comes only to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Uh, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, abundantly. That even though we have a part to play in reaching people, no matter what the prevailing culture may look like, let's always be encouraged that it is God who does the calling. That to be compelling, we, we, we do what we can do as a partnership, but then it's, it's, it's God who does the calling. It's God who does the compelling. It's Him working by His Spirit, calling people to faith. I know He worked like that in my life. I'm sure He probably worked like that in your life, that it wasn't just of your own um, you know, self-sufficiency, but God called you, the Holy Spirit moves on your life. He moves some circumstances around and, and, and you found yourself maybe here. John 6, says this, For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I'll raise them up. See, God does the saving. We do the serving. We let our mouth speak. We let our actions display the life of Jesus Christ. And then God draws and compels people to come. He draws and compels people to come. Again, I'm going to quote from the book, Steve McAlpine. Confusing, intriguing, attractive, compelling. Remember I said the message was heavily based (laughs) on his book. I'll keep going. Can our Christian communities... Be these things to those who are desperately seeking their authentic selves. Can our churches become the mile markers for those on a journey seeking the pathway of life? 
Can they keep us from straying from that pathway? Jesus bids us to follow this narrow way because the alternative is a broad way that leads to destruction. You see, here's the... I'm going to read one more scripture and then we're going to pray. But here's the, here's the call of Jesus to your life, to our city, to our workplaces, to our social groups, to friends and family, whoever, whoever, we, whoever we interact with. And here is the call to us today. It's Jesus' words in Matthew 11. You may know them. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's your first time in church ever. But it says this, Jesus speaking. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. You know what's, what's really wearying? is living our lives in the way that the quote I used right at the start describes where we live in the I world where truth and meaning and everything is found within. This is wearying. But Jesus calls us out of that. He says, follow me. He says, I will give rest for your souls. He says, I have something for you. He says, follow me because my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. And so this morning across this place, as every head is bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you a question today. Have you found this light and easy burden that Jesus is calling to you? Have you found that place where Christ is on the center of your life and that you live your life with Him directing your path filling your life, giving you grace and love and identity that's found in Him. This morning, if you've maybe never made that decision,